Thank you for tuning in to our message here at Catalyst Church. We're excited that you're with us. Stay tuned at the end to find out more ways that you can connect with us. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, have I told you lately that I love you, Catalyst Church? I love you so much. And I'm so grateful that all of you at the last minute decided to take on this week of prayer and fasting And uh, I just want to say thank you for praying for fasting because God really did clarify some of the things that we were fasting about. And I just want to say a word of advice for future fasters. Do not break your five-day fast with Popeye's chicken. I'm just saying. I don't know if you know who did that, but uh, I'm just saying it's not a good thing. Um, It'll make you struggle for a few days. But uh, God did some amazing things uh, in our midst uh, this week. And he opened our eyes to his gracious will. So here's the update. I'm not going to wait to the end uh, to let you know what we're doing. I'm going to tell you right up front. And then I'm going to talk about a piece of scripture that God gave me that I think will guide us into the future um, as we get ready to transition here. As you know, as you have seen, 2020 has already been a a season of transition, okay? And so our church is, is in that area as well. But here's what happened. God has opened the door for us to partner with Paradise Hill Southern Baptist Church for the furtherance of his kingdom, and we will be taking over the leadership and property of that amazing church, and we will be welcoming 20, their 25 members into our congregation. And here's what this means. We will have a place to call home. Uh, we won't have to set up and tear down anymore. Can I get an amen from the setup crew? All right, all right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, And here's what's cool. We will have space for midweek Bible studies and gatherings. Our youth, as I walked down the steps, I saw them meeting over there in the cold, on the picnic benches they've been doing, that they'll have a place to meet. Uh, We will not be having to pay high rents uh, because we're going to have some free resources available to us. And um, it's going to be just an amazing opportunity that God has given us. Now, we will have some more complex leadership issues to deal with. uh, And that means that that we will become property owners, which is something that we haven't had to deal with. So if something breaks, hey, we can't just call the school district and say, hey, this broke. Can you fix it? It's going to be on us. And so we'll have to have wisdom and leadership to take care of the property. We'll also become landlords. Uh, That requires some wisdom as well. The property currently has three churches meeting in it, Paradise Hill Southern Baptist Church, another church plant called Grace Battleship Church, and Por Su Gracia Hispanic Church. And so we will have to navigate these relationships well, and we need to pray for wisdom so that we can be a good testimony in how we we conduct business uh, all together. And then there's also a preschool that we have to manage and provide leadership for there. And now... Uh, some of you met them, but I want to introduce uh, DJ Anderson and Ann Landrum, who are from Paradise Hills. They're visiting today to see uh, what kind of knuckleheads we have in this church. And so they're right over here. Can you welcome DJ and Ann? You guys are going to love them. They, these are amazing people uh, that I've gotten to know and I already love. And um, I know that you're going to love them, too. 
But this transition, it won't be without its challenges. Uh, but as we learned last week, as we studied uh, the, in Revelation, we will have to keep relying on the Lord for wisdom, amen, and power and strength. That's why he doesn't make everything so perfectly easy. He wants us to keep coming back to him. Now, um, I want to tell you a little bit about the city of Paradise Hills. I just started learning about it because I didn't, I, it wasn't even on my radar, honestly. The city of Paradise Hills is a great little city. If you don't know where it is, it's um, a little bit east of, the, of where the 805 and 54 meet. Uh, it neighbors Bonita. And one of the things that you'll notice is when you drive up to the property, you see tons of homes all around. There's so many people there. And it's a very diverse community. Uh, Angelo told us that it's because he lives there. Angelo and Amanda live there. He said it's mainly Anglo, Hispanic, Black, and Filipino. And I love that because we're a very diverse congregation, and so we fit that community. And it's it's a powerful witness when the community and the church look alike, right? And uh, my sense is that there's a great need for the gospel, and that people are ready to receive the Lord. I really believe that. Um, we're going to see a lot of salvations, a lot of baptisms, a lot of life change. At least that's what I'm praying for, and that's what I'm hoping. And what's exciting is that we will be able to have ministry impact, not just five hours on a Sunday, but seven days a week. And uh, I, I told you guys before that it always shocked me. We've been here for about three years, right? And uh, at, our, at our last event, somebody came and said, man, I live like a block and a half um, from here. I didn't even know you guys were here. I'm like, are you kidding me? We've been here for three years. We're, you know, going around the neighborhood. We're doing these events and people still don't know. And that's because this is a school primarily and we have it for five hours on a Sunday. And so we will be able to expand our ministry impact with that. Now, let me share three answered prayers that I thought were just great that, that really did my heart really, really good. And in fact, I was sharing some of these uh, with Tina at the prayer call on Thursday night, and she she said, "Manny, you got to share that. That's amazing." So, uh, as you know, we've been praying to have a more effective impact in in our through our church. Uh, that means that we want to make more disciples, but we want to plant more churches. We planted a church in year three, but that kind of has has slowed down. I mean, Jason can't, coming on board, that's really exciting. But I, I said, Lord, I'm going to pray something bold. I want to plant 10 churches in 10 years. I shared that with you several weeks ago. 10 churches in 10 years. Can you imagine what could happen if we really devoted ourselves to that? Well, I believe that us being able to go to Paradise Hills is an answer in part to that prayer, the beginning of an answer to the prayer, because in order to do that, we need to have stability so we can build health and strength. Amen? Uh, this move gives us some long-term stability so that in two years, we're not wondering where are we going to go next, all right? And in fact, the Lord showed me that if we steward this, this opportunity well, that within a year or two, we can start planting churches in all of these areas that we really want to be in, like Lemon Grove, Chula Vista, National City. These are places that, that God has put a burden in my heart for, Imperial Beach, places that are needy, people that need the gospel, need a good Bible teaching, Christ-centered church in it. And so I really believe that this is going to allow us to do that long term, not just for the next two years, but 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, God willing, years into the future. Uh, the other prayer I prayed for is for free rent, okay? Now, I got to share this story. I read this book uh, called Praying for Your Elephant, uh, and, and this happened like in April, May, 
And the story is uh, this, it's, it's, I'm not even going to tell you that. The, the book is about prayer. It's one of the best books on prayer that I've ever read. In fact, if you want to get it, go ahead and get it uh, and read it. I suggest it and I recommend it. But anyway, the book is on prayer and why we don't pray bigger prayers, right? And what kind of things hinder us from praying big prayers and trusting God for big things. A lot of it is guilt and shame. It's like, oh, I don't deserve that. You know, there's other people that need more. And, you know, all these things that get in the wind. So he really breaks that down. So anyway, I was so convicted by that book because my prayers oftentimes are safe. Amen? And even my safe prayers, I, I kind of don't even believe that God will answer those. It's terrible, right? You're like, man, are you, you're our pastor? That's crazy. Get off that stage. I'm sorry. I'm just one of you, right? Like, I'm, I'm human too. But anyway, so, so God really started challenging me. And, and when we started looking for a place uh, to, to call home, we started praying, Lord, can you provide us something? Because this is, I know this is wearing down our congregation. It'd be cool to have a seven-day-a-week opportunity to minister. We started praying. We started looking at all these places. You know, um, nothing was coming about. And I had no idea how God was going to answer that. In fact, one of the properties that we were looking at, the rent was almost double what we're paying now. And I'm like, Lord, we're going in the wrong direction here. And so when we had Lemon Grove, do you guys remember Lemon Grove? Okay, so Lemon Grove came. I said, oh my gosh, this, this might be it. Because the pastor's my friend, surely he's going to come and say, Manny, we just want to help you guys out. I'm going to give you free rent. I thought that. I honestly did. Well, when we came back, he, he didn't come and say that. He, he wanted rent, and, uh, and he wanted a good amount of rent. And uh, he did graciously tell us, hey, you know what, for the first two months, you know, just to help you, you know, get caught up and, and, and have some cash flow to buy, you know, whatever you guys are going to need. I'll give you two months of free rent. And I'm like, oh, man, okay, so maybe that's what God intended, right? Like two months, I should have been more specific. I wanted 10 years, Lord, you know, whatever. And uh, so, so I'm, I'm down in myself. Well, well, as you guys know the story, um, I get a call from Paradise Hills uh, right after I had called Pete to say, yeah, you know, verbal commitment, let's do this. Let's do this. This sounds good to us. And uh, so the, the story goes from there. We've been meeting with Paradise Hills. And anyway, the Lord has brought it together. And, and here's the deal. We've had a lot of meetings, you know. And, and one of the meetings we had was me, Angelo, and, uh, and Josh went over there to see the property and to get a tour of it. And uh, so we're standing out in the parking lot um, talking about it. And, and we're talking about, you know, the pros and cons. And like, oh, man, you know, yeah, it would be great. Like, the youth could have their space and look at all this stuff. And, and then it just came to me. I'm like, you know, and, and then we, we wouldn't pay rent. <gasps> and it just hit me. You know, I've been praying for that. I've been praying for free rent. And, uh, and so praise God that, you know, this building is paid for. The, the people there have stewarded their resources very, very well. And so we're coming into a, just an amazing situation uh, where we'll be able to be there. The building is owned. And we'll be able to get right to work uh, ministering uh, for the Lord. And then lastly, one of my prayers, uh, I mentioned it earlier, is as Ronnie, Ron and Connie. Hey, we should call you guys Ronnie. <laughs> that is awesome. Wow. So as Ronnie announced um, that they were going to Colorado... Um, I, I, started, I started seeing the gap, honestly, of, of having just this level of maturity and experience in our church, mentorship opportunities, and I started praying. I said, Lord, would you just bring someone? Now, you can't replace Ron and Connie, but I said, would you just bring someone? And, and I really believe that God is answering that because at Paradise Hills, there's 25 people 
that have been faithfully walking with Jesus for a long time. They have a lot of experience, a lot of Bible knowledge, and I, I just know that they are eager to invest and pour into some of you. And so I, I, I'm just overwhelmed with God's goodness, you know, um, because you pray these things, and in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, is God going to do it? And sure enough, he did it for us, and we praise him for that. And so we're moving to Paradise Hills Church, and uh, we don't know, you know, all of the details of when that's going to happen. We're going to, you know, let you guys know uh, as that comes, we're going to give tours and do, do all of that stuff, um, but we just ask you to pray. And here's the thing. If you have questions, we totally understand, and we want to field those. We want to walk with you on this process because we're inviting everybody to come, and, and we don't want to lose one person, not one. That's what I'm praying for. That's my other big prayer request is that every single person comes along with us because I believe that if you do, you're going to see God work in amazing ways. But if you have questions or concerns or, you know, I didn't address something today, um, feel free to email us, and I will answer every single email that comes in, relocation at catalystchurchsd.org, okay? Relocation at catalystchurchsd.org. Don't miss the SD and don't miss the org because a lot of people say catalystchurch.com or .org. It's catalystchurchsd for San Diego dot org. What is it? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Who was a smart aleck? This a catalyst church, you know, whatever. Anyway, so, um, so God is good. Amen. Y'all with me? Good. All right. Now let's get into the study that I think will prepare us to have the right mindset as we move into this, this period of transition. So open up your Bibles to Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Um, I love it because it's very easy to understand. It's a very good, accurate translation. And so I'm going to be reading that. So if it's a little bit different than your version, uh, it's okay. Just pay attention. You'll understand. So Nehemiah chapter 1. This is a book, by the way, about transitions and open doors. Okay? Now, just in case you're asking, how is studying this ancient book going to help us inform our decisions about what to do with Paradise Hill Southern Baptist Church? Romans 15.4 says this, For whatever things were written in earlier times, they were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. You know why the things were written in the Scripture? to inform our decisions and our life today. And so that's what we're going to see. So Nehemiah, here's the background of, of this book. Babylon invades Jerusalem and takes many of the people captive. About th 30 years later, Persia invades Babylon. The Israelites, the Israelites are there for about 70 years, and in a miraculous turn of events, these prisoners, these exiles are allowed to return to Israel by Cyrus the Great under the leadership of Zerubbabel, who is a descendant of David. Okay, he's, he's, uh, he's got, um, oh my gosh, what's that? He's from the line of David, so in line to be king, in other words, okay? And they go and they rebuild the temple is what they do. Two Persian kings later, 
Artaxerxes allows a second group of exiles to return under the leadership of a guy named Ezra. And what Ezra focuses on is rebuilding the worship, the traditions. He restores the synagogues and worship as they had known it before the exile. Now, it's been 90 years since the first return under Zerubbabel, and it's been about 12 to 15 years since Ezra's return. So you get it? Two returns, and it's been 90 years since the first one, 15 years since the second one, and this is where we find ourselves in the book of Nehemiah. And starting in verse 1, this is what it says. It says, These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. I meaning Nehemiah, okay? Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well. For those who return to the province of Judah, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So Nehemiah is at the palace. He's a cupbearer. That's his job. He asked some of his brothers that came back from Jerusalem, how's it going over there? And it crushes him because they say it's not going good. It's going really, really bad. Now, why did it crush Nehemiah? Because for all intents and purposes, Nehemiah lives in the palace. He's got a good life. I mean, he's probably at the top of the food chain. So why does it affect him so much? Here's why. Because Nehemiah believes the promise of God that he's going to restore his people to their land. And he's seen the return, the first return under Zerubbabel. He's seen the second return under Ezra. And he's assuming in his mind, you know what? They've gone. God has opened the door for them to start returning and rebuilding. It's got to be amazing. When God opens the door, it's always good, right? No. He assumes that things are going well because God has opened so many doors. He's probably eager to get the news, assuming that he's going to get good news. But the news is bad. And here's the thing. Just because you walk through the open door that God presents to you, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. In fact, it doesn't even mean that circumstances will get better. So Nehemiah begins to pray. He is crushed. It says that he repents. And bottom line, he begins to pray for an open door, another open door. Picking up in verse 11, the last part of his prayer says this, O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. That's his open door that he's praying for. I need favor with the king because I have an idea of something that I want to do, something that you've put in my heart. Give me favor with the king is what he's saying. And then he says, put it into his heart to be kind to me. And then he says, in those days I was the king's cupbearer. So he's asking for an open door with the king because he was the king's cupbearer. Now, the king's cupbearer, what their job was to make sure that the, that the 
king didn't get poisoned through his food or through his drink. And so the cupbearer oftentimes would drink a little bit of the drink that the king was going to drink. So if he died, the king knew that that's not something I should drink and taste the food so that if he died, the king wouldn't eat of that food. And so you can, you can imagine the kind of trust that existed between the king and his cupbearers. The king's life was literally in the cupbearer's hand. And also, by default, would make the cupbearer a trusted advisor. Because if you trust someone and they're always in your presence, you have unrestricted access to the king, you're going to have conversations every once in a while. Hey, you know, Nehemiah, I've been struggling with this issue. You know, we have this thing in our, in our kingdom over here. What do you think? You assume that those kinds of conversations are going on. So eventually, with time, you can almost see the cupbearer and the king becoming friends. So immediately, you run into a couple problems with what Nehemiah wants to do. Nehemiah wants to leave. Nehemiah doesn't just want to leave. He wants to leave to go rebuild the walls of a conquered city, one who could potentially become an enemy after those walls are created because with walls means you have defense. You can defend against outsiders. You can rebel against paying taxes, all of these things. So this is what it would have meant to present a case to the king to leave. And it was a highly risky request. A request like what Nehemiah wanted to make could have been easily seen as a threat or at best disloyalty. This is why we see Nehemiah frightened when God provides the opportunity for him to ask the king. If you look at Nehemiah 2 verses 1 through 3, it says, Early the following spring in the month of Nisan during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence, so the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. That alone could have been a death sentence. When you were in the presence of the king, you had to have joy. You had to fake it. He didn't want anybody sat around him. So he could have killed him just for that. But he asked him, he says, why are you looking sad? You don't look sick. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. Then I was terrified, it says. Nehemiah knew that what he was about to ask the king was tantamount to treason. So I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Again, this is risky. But Nehemiah had prayed for this, did he not? He says, give me favor with the king. Give me an open door. Give me an opportunity to present my case. Now, because of protocol of the day, it demanded that you couldn't initiate a conversation with the king. You couldn't just say, hey, king, can I, you know, bother you for a couple minutes? He said, no, off with his head. You can't bother me at all. It, it would have to come from the king himself. He would have to ask you a question, and then you could respond. He would have to open the door for conversation. So Nehemiah right here recognizes that this is an opportunity from the Lord. He recognized this is an open door, and so Nehemiah asked his question. The king responds, and look at how the, the king responds. The king asks, well, how can I help you? Remember in Nehemiah's prayer, he says, I ask for a favor 
with the king. And this is God's answer to his prayers. He says, how can I help you? He doesn't say off with his head, right? He says, how can I help you? He shows him grace, compassion. This, by the way, shows the depth of their relationship. This is how close they got, right? That the king would actually be interested in helping Nehemiah when he's troubled. Now, here's the second open door, okay? So Nehemiah prays for an opportunity, and God opens that door, and now the king is asking for more. Well, give me more. What do you have in mind? How can I help you? Nehemiah 2, verses 4 through 6. Now, what do you think Nehemiah's state is at this moment? I think he is absolutely terrified. How do I know this? Because he does one of those two-second prayers to God. Oh, gosh, help me. Look at what it says here. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. I mean, that's a two-second prayer right there, a prayer of emergency. Lord, I need you right now. And then he begins to talk. If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And then it says, the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, what? The king agreed to my request. Man, that's two doors that God opened. He walks through them and he sees God's faithfulness in every turn. He's letting him go, not only go, but to rebuild the walls of a conquered city. That is massive. Now, we know that Nehemiah at this point, now he's getting confident. All right. Now he's emboldened. He's seen God open two doors, and now he's moving with boldness and with faith. And look at his next request. Verses 7 through 8, chapter 2, he says, I also said to the king, so by the way, oh, you're letting me go. Oh, by the way, hold up. If it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on the way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's force, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams and gates for the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for, the, or, and for a house for myself." How bold is that request, right? Not only does he ask to go do a building campaign for the walls of a conquered city, he asks the king to pay for it. I'm going to need some cash for this one, king. Verse 8, and the king granted these requests. Why? Because the gracious hand of God was on me. Why did the Lord grant his request? Or why, why did the king grant his request? Because the gracious hand of God was on him. God had been working to open doors for him all along. The rest of the story is this. He goes. He rebuilds the wall. Everything goes as planned. They live happily ever after. Amen. Let's pray. No. That is not the story. These amazing doors that have been opened, he walks through them, and stuff hits the fan in a big way. But that's how we think sometimes, right? We think if God opens a door, then it must mean that as soon as we walk through them, everything's going to be perfect, everything's going to be good, just like we hoped for, just like we planned. All of our expectations are going to be met perfectly. That's not it. We almost see 
the open door as a finish line when really what we should be doing is seeing God's open doors as the starting line. This is the beginning. So how does it apply to us? Just because God's opened this door, it doesn't mean like, yay, we made it. Now we can rest. We don't have to set up. We don't have to do it. You know, we just enjoy. No, that's when the work really begins. Look at what happens. He gets there. The Bible says that he inspects the work that needs to be done. He recognizes there's a lot of work to be done, but they're going to do it. It's a very important task. The walls meant protection. It, may, it, it, it conveyed stability, and it conveyed strength. It proved the faithfulness of God's promise to restore Israel fully. This was a monumental task, and it had to be done. So no matter how hard this work was going to be, they were going to do it. So Nehemiah is determined. Okay, he's determined. And one of the things he does first is he rallies the people. He says, all right, everybody, come over here. And guess what the people do? They are excited. They say, yes, we need to do this. So they all agree enthusiastically, and they literally get to work right away. And, man, they, they start making progress like never before. You've never seen a building campaign go up this quickly. They're working. They're making progress. They're accomplishing this amazing task for God. And that's when stuff starts to go wrong. He said, I said to them, this is what happens. You know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And this is verses 17 through 19. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They all replied, at once, yes, let us rebuild this wall. So they began the good work. Now I don't know in your Bible what it says next, but in mine it says this, but. They started working. But, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebuilding against the king? Are you rebelling against the king? They asked. Here's the second point. There's always a big but that's going to try to get in the way of God's plans for you. Amen? When God is at work, so is the enemy. They started working. But somebody didn't like what they were doing. Another point we need to remember is that when we walk through the doors that God opens, we are walking into spiritual warfare. Because every time that God opens a door for us and he wants to do something great in our lives, that means that the enemy is going to try to sabotage it at every turn. For a couple chapters, we see the extent of the battle that they faced. First, They experience mockery by the Jews. In Nehemiah 4, verse 1, it says, Sambalat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage, and what did he do? He mocked the Jews. They experienced mockery for what they were doing. Number two, they experienced resistance. Next, it says in in chapter 3, verse 5, next, were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. Who are the people of Tekoa? They are Jews. 
that remained in the land that had come back perhaps and were living in Jerusalem at that point, Nehemiah comes and says, let's rebuild the walls. This is a worthy task. And some of the Jews said, nah, I don't want to do that. So he experienced resistance. Number three, the Jews also experienced discouragement. How many, how many of you know that when you're working for God, it's not always like exciting times, mountaintop moments. Sometimes you're going to get discouraged. You're not going to see enough progress. You're going to be overwhelmed by the amount of work. It says this in chapter 4, verse 10. It says, then the people of Judah, what, began to complain. The workers are getting tired And there's so much rubble to be moved, we will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. This is just a chapter after they all said, yes, let's rebuild it. All of a sudden they're saying, we can't do this. It's too much. Next they experienced threats. Chapter 4, verse 8, it says, they all made plans. These are the the people who were opposing the work, they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. If we can't stop them by mocking them, we're going to take it up a notch, turn up the heat and see if we can't stop them. Now they're threatening them that they're going to come and fight. The threats get even worse. A couple verses later in verse 11 and 12, it says, Meanwhile, Our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. Like, we're going to stop this work if we have to kill you. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Now fear is gripping all of the people who are working. And this fear is spreading. So they experienced threats as well. Next, they they experienced disunity. The people that were united at that one moment when Nehemiah cast the vision, they're like, yes, let's do this. All of a sudden, they experienced some disunity, some disgruntled people, people not doing what they're supposed to be doing. In Nehemiah 5, verse 1, it says, About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They weren't treating each other well. And so there was disunity in the people of God. And then next, they experience haters, okay, trying to stop the work again. Chapter 6, verse 9, they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work, but I continued the work with even great determination. So you see, God opens doors, and God had been doing miraculous things to prepare the way for Nehemiah to do this monumental task. He's opening the doors. But as soon as they walk through those open doors, what happens? The enemy strikes. The enemy strikes. And so whenever we think about an open door, we need to have the mindset, okay, this isn't going to be easy. This may even get harder. But that's where we got to remember is the task that we're being called to a worthy one worth the battle, worth the effort, worth the hardship. Because lastly, here's another thing that they experience. They experience victory. They experience victory. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 through 16, it says, So on October 2nd, the wall was finished. And not just that, 52 days after we had begun. 
they built the entire wall around the entire city of Jerusalem with the doors, with everything, in 52 days. That is miraculous. With all of this pressure, with all of these people attacking, with everything going on around them, they still were able to finish the wall. And it didn't take two years or three years or four years. It took 52 days. And look at what it says after that about this. It says, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized what? That this work had been done with the help of our God. Amen? God gets the glory in the end, and we get the joy of a finished product, of making an impact in His good work in this world. Amen? So what does this all say to us? A couple points that I want to point out from this story of Nehemiah that applies, by the way, when you're talking about opportunities or open doors individually or collectively. Number one, and we end with this, number one, A God opportunity is an opportunity to trust more. When God gives you an opportunity, he's giving you an opportunity to trust more. So it's not about everything being hunky-dory. It's an opportunity about you stretching your faith, about him stretching your faith and causing you to trust him more. All of those challenges that presented themselves to Nehemiah in the building of this wall did one thing to him. It caused him to stay close to God. Amen? He couldn't just take off and say, I got this, Lord. He's a great leader. If you ever want to study leadership in the Bible, you study the book of Nehemiah, how he deals with each of these things. He was a very gifted man. But this, what happened, kept him close to God. In fact, all throughout this, this story of him rebuilding the walls, you see Nehemiah doing one thing. Whenever something happened, he prays. Nehemiah 1.8, he prays for an open door when he gets that bad news. Nehemiah 2.4, he prays for his conversation with the king. Nehemiah 4.4, he prays when he's being mocked. Nehemiah 4.9, he prays for protection when he's being threatened. Nehemiah 5.19, he prays for favor. Nehemiah is always connected to God. And that's what happens when we walk through these open doors and we see all these trials. Don't see them as signs of, man, maybe we made a mistake here. No, you see them as God's gift to you to keep you tethered to him. Amen? So as we walk through this, know that we will have challenges. When we move into Paradise Hills, Southern Baptist Church, we're going to have challenges. Some parts are going to be great, and we're going to enjoy them, and it's going to be wonderful, but there's going to be challenges. There's going to be challenges to our faith. There's going to be challenges to us as a community. There's going to be challenges in our leadership and and our care for the building and the ministries and all of that. What does all that look like? It's a lot of work ahead, but it's just an opportunity for us to continue praying and seeing God work in great ways. Number two. A God opportunity is also an opportunity and always an opportunity for us to bear more fruit. One of the things that happens to us as Christians is we get comfortable. And we get comfortable, and a lot of times we get comfortable with being fruitless for the Lord. 
You know, we think back and we're like, man, I remember when I was going out and sharing Jesus with everyone. I remember when I was like praying and, and, and we just get comfortable. And that's just human nature. One of the things that happens when God opens a door is it opens the door for opportunities to bear more fruit. All of those people that were working with Nehemiah, experiencing the hardships and the fears, they worked through that. And now we get to read about them in the scripture. They will forever be remembered as the people who boldly stepped out in faith and by God's good grace accomplished something great for the Lord. God gave them the opportunity for more fruit. God fulfilled his promise through these people of restoring Israel after the 70-year captivity. And this is for us an opportunity to bear more fruit. Why? Because by God's grace... What we do with Paradise Hills during this time will allow us to be able to see many more people come to know Jesus, for us to have an impact in a new community that we've never been in. By God's grace, we will see many people baptized. By God's grace, we'll see many people discipled and taught. By God's grace, we'll see revival in Paradise Hills. By God's grace, we'll see dozens and dozens of churches planted as God opens the doors. By God's grace. And one day, I hope that we're all standing before God you know, the Bible says that we're going to put our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The things that we did for him on this earth. And I hope that we will all be able together to lay at the feet of Jesus, Catalyst Church, and all of the churches that were planted because of this, and all of the lives that were touched, and all of the people that came to salvation at the feet of Jesus. And I hope that all of us together will hear, well done, good and faithful servants. So that's the second thing. The third thing is that a God opportunity is also an opportunity for us to come together. When, when time came for them to start working on the wall, Nehemiah put them all together. He called everybody to come, and he called them as families to work together on different sections. And so, guys, it's going to take all of us, and it's going to take all of us being connected to one another. Whenever there's change and whenever the work increases for our community, it's important that we connect with one another. I've seen so many people burn out that are doing so many good things for the Lord, but they're not connected in community, and so then they, they just drop off. Why? Because your community is your support group. When things get hard, when you're getting tired, they encourage you. They lift you up. When you're weak, they pick you up. When they're weak, you pick them up. That's so important. So it's going to give us an opportunity to get even closer together. And then lastly, a God opportunity means an opportunity to see God work mightily. We already touched on this. But because Nehemiah was willing to step out in faith, and risk even his life to ask the king for this opportunity, he saw God work in ways he would have never seen had he not stepped out in that. Amen? And isn't that the case with us? Some of us are so frustrated. Like, Lord, why do you seem to work in everybody else's life in just mighty ways? I hear these testimonies. I hear what you're doing, and you're not working in mine. You know why I think sometimes God doesn't do that? Is because we're not in the front lines. We're too comfortable. We're not out there pursuing his kingdom purposes. And I'm convinced that if we step out in faith together, we're going to see God work in miraculous ways. We're going to see him begin to do things that we've never thought possible. And so it's my desire that we all do this together. 
Friends, I'm asking everybody. I don't want to lose one person. As we transition into this time where we're going to relocate to Paradise Hills, I want everybody to come and everybody to ask themselves, what can I do? How can I serve in this transition? So will you get involved? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to preach, to teach your word, to see what you have done in previous transitions so that we can learn how we ought to walk. And I just want to pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters, as they hear this message, Lord God, as they consider what you're doing in our midst, that they would say, how can I be a part of what God's doing? Lord, it's not a small thing that you're doing, and I believe that you're calling every single person to it. And I just want to pray, Father, that you would individually touch each heart and give us each a passion, a calling, a desire, a conviction that not only are we supposed to be a part of this, but that we're supposed to even increase our involvement. And Father, I pray that you'd protect us from the enemy attack. We see just almost an extreme example of how Satan can really attack the work of God in Nehemiah. And Lord, I just pray that you would spare us from some of that. I pray that that wouldn't be our story, but that, Lord, that you would keep us from temptation, keep us from distraction, keep us from any sabotage that the enemy is trying to do. And Father, if there are things that come our way that are difficult, that are uncomfortable, that require more of us, I pray, Jesus, that we would have the same kind of mindset that you had when you endured the cross. You said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I pray that we would endure the hardships for the joy set before us of seeing your kingdom expanded, seeing you work powerfully, seeing you do something amongst all of us that none of us could ever do on our own. I pray, Jesus, that you would be glorified in our life, in our work, both individually, but also collectively as a church, as Catalyst Church. I thank you for my family. I thank you that you love us, that you've worked in us, that your best is yet to come. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's all stand up, family. Let's all stand up. Today's message was recorded at Catalyst Church San Diego. For more information on Catalyst Church and to find out ways to connect with us, visit our website at catalystchurchsd.org. We look forward to fellowshipping with you.